Shigarya Vaishnav Guru Paramparaki Jai Shijiva Goswami Ki Jai Satsandarbhas Ki Jai Anantakota Vaishnavinda Ki Jai Glorious devotees Thank you so much for attending another discussion on Srila Jiva Goswami's Satsandarbhas. We'll continue today from the beginning of the Krishna Sandarbha, wherein Jiva Goswami systematically goes through the incarnations as listed in the third chapter of the first canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. Uh, wherein Sutta Goswami is uh, responding to the request of the sages in regards to those avataric descents of the Supreme Lord. 
So we've gone through a few of them and we will continue where we left off with the 20th Anucheta and also the 20th verse of that third chapter of the first canto. In his 16th avatar, the Purusha became furious on seeing that the kings were inimical to the Brahmanas and so rid the earth of the warrior clans 21 times. Jiva writes the word avatare, literally in the avatar, here refers to the one named Sri Parasuram. Short commentary here, the story of Parasuram is found in the 15th and 16th chapters of the ninth canto. This narration shows how Bhagavan offers protections, protection to cows and brahmanas, curving those who oppose such culture. Twenty-first Anucheta. Thereafter, in his seventeenth avatar, he was born from Sachivati through the sage Parasara recognizing that people in general were diminished in their powers of understanding he divided the tree of the veda into many branches the meaning is self-evident and of course here we're speaking of krishna dwipayana vyas uh, just some um, mention needs to be made that Krishna Dwipayana Vyas is seen as an actual manifestation of Bhagavan Sri Krishna himself um, uh, as Bhagavan, uh, whereas sometimes the Vyas of a particular Yuga cycle will be an empowered uh, representative of the of the sword of the Supreme Lord. But uniquely enough in this particular day of Brahma, in this particular uh, Manvantara, the same Manvantara wherein Krishna himself descends uh, personally, the same Manvantara wherein Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu makes his advent, and the same Manvantara uh, has uh, in that same Manvantara, uh, the Vyas is also uh, Bhagavan himself. Commentary here. This is the avatar of Bhadarayana, properly known as Vyas. He divided the one Veda into four for easy comprehension and taught it to four of his students. He is also the author of the Bhagavat Purana, which, according to Jiva Goswami, is eternal like the Veda. The story of Vyasa's birth is found in Mahabharata Adi Parva, chapter 57 of the critical edition. The next verse of the Bhagavatam reads, thereafter in the 18th avatar, he appeared as a king, intending to accomplish the work of the Suras and performed heroic acts 
such as restraining the ocean. Shiva writes in this regard, appearing as a king, Naradevam, literally as a deva or god among men, means that he assumed the form of Sri Rama, Ataparam, thereafter means in the 18th avatar. It is understood from the Rama Gita of the Skanda Purana that Rama, Vishnu, and Rudra prayed to Sri Ram, the Purusha himself, while he manifested his universal form. Little commentary here. The work of the Suras means killing Ravana, who was terrorizing them. Bhagavan Ram built a bridge over the Indian Ocean to reach Sri Lanka and rescue his wife, Sita, who had been kidnapped by Ravana. The remnants of this bridge were discovered recently under the ocean between India and Sri Lanka. The Ramayana of Valmiki is one of the most popular scriptures of India and has exerted an influence on the culture of many Southeast Asian countries. Although Ram is counted among the avatars, according to Sri Jiva, he is the Purusha himself. As evidence of this, he refers to Ram's manifesting the universal form of the Purusha, on which occasion the gods, including Vishnu, offered prayers to him. Now we come to the 23rd Anucheda. In the 19th and 20th avatars, Bhagavan took birth, appeared among the Vrishnis as Balaram and Krishna, and rid the earth of her burden. Jiva writes here, the word Bhagavan in this verse has been employed in a special sense to assert that these two are directly the manifestation of Sri Bhagavan himself and not of the Purusha called Aniruddha. In this regard, the function of removing the burden of the earth is affected by Bhagavan alone, both through his direct form as Sri Krishna, as well as through his own plenary portion as Sri Balaram. Therefore, the clause Bhagavan, rid the earth of her burden, is applied to both of them, on this account, the view that Balaram, too, is an avatar of Aniruddha is refuted, since Sri Krishna is Vasudev and Sri Balaram is Sankarshan. This refutation is certainly appropriate. So, so much to speak in regards to Krishna and Balaram. But uh, we will uh, hold that off until Jiva brings it up himself as we proceed in the Krishna Sandarbha. So all this is, is coming up to that, that one key verse wherein we enter deeply into um, the Krishna Sandarbha. Krishna to Bhagavan Swayam. So Jiva Goswami is laying a firm uh, foundation here 
based on what's presented in the Srimad Bhagavatam in relationship to the avatarik descents of divinity. And um, once we get to that Pariva Sutra, which is the key to the Gaudiya understanding of the Srimad Bhagavatam, then the whole world will open up through the lens of Jiva Goswami into our Sampradaya's understanding of the standing of Krishna and his being the source or the avatari of all these various manifestations who are coming through the agency of the Purusha. Of course, here, the exceptions made, Krishna and Balaram, are not coming through that agency. They are descending directly. As we shall see further, the word Bhagavan employed in this verse has special significance. This word has not been used to refer to any of the other avatars listed before or after. This indicates that Krishna and Balaram are not avatars of the Purusha, contrary to what was stated in general terms in verse 135. Rather, they are the self-same Bhagavan himself. It will be established definitively in Anucheta 28 that Sri Krishna is the original and, I'm sorry, or source form of Bhagavan. All other avatars or forms of God are directly or indirectly manifestations of him alone. Balaram is Krishna's brother and first expansion. Therefore, he too is not an avatar of the Purusha. Among the quadruple expansion, Chaturvyuha, Krishna is Vasudeva, and Balaram is Sankarshan. Sankarshan expands as Mahavishnu, or Karnadakshai Vishnu, from whom arise the other Purusha forms. Consequently, it is incorrect to claim that Balaram is a manifestation of Aniruddha, since the reverse evidently seem to be the case. That Prajumna and Aniruddha manifest from Sankarshan is affirmed by Bhishma. This is from the Mahabharat, Santiparva. From Sankarshan appeared Prajumna, who is known as the aggregate mind. From, I'm sorry, from Prajumna came Aniruddha, who is the presiding deity of Ahankar and the supreme eminent self, Ishvara. Jiva writes, thereafter, when Kali is underway, he will appear in Kikata as Buddha, the son of Anjana, for the purpose of deluding the enemies of the Suras. Kikate Shu means in the land of Gaya. Very interesting commentary here. This verse predicts Buddha's appearance. The name Buddha, the name of Buddha's mother, however, is given in the verse. 
as given in the verse, does not match that of the historical Buddha's mother. According to the Buddhist tradition, Buddha, Gautama Siddhartha, was born of Pimaya Devi, wife of King Sudodana, the ruler of the Sakya clan in Lumbini, currently in Nepal. Kikata is the area of Gaia in the state of Bihar, India. Moreover, the verse says that Buddha will come to delude the enemies of the Suras. None of the things stated in the verse seem to match the actual facts related to the historical Buddha as we know him today. Then the commentary continues. The word Anjana, however, can be considered a synonym of Maya, since in Vedic terminology, the word is used for Upadi, a designation superimposed on the self, which is part of Maya. Gaia is not very far from Buddha's birthday, birthplace, Lumbini, and thus Kikata may actually be a reference to it. It is believed that in Kali Yuga, the present age, many Asuras would take birth among the Brahmanas and thus pollute the teachings of the Veda. It is indeed a historical fact that during the time of Buddha, people had taken to killing animals for eating meat on the pretext of performing Vedic yajna. This is stated even in the Mahabharata. In that yuga, Treta, the animals will be sanctified by sprinkling holy water and then killed in sacrifice. Dharma will diminish by one-fourth. Witnessing this degradation of the people and Vedic Dharma, Buddha preached to them to give up the Vedas and follow the path of nonviolence. Thus, it can be said that Buddha misled the Asuras born as Brahmanas so that they could be weaned away from the Vedas and the corruption that had set in. One thing we might want to consider in this regard is um, the gradual theistic evolution that happened historically after the advent of the Buddha as we see him in our historical context. So if we see him in that historical context, then reconciling his appearance with that theistic evolution, um, does, he does fit into our history accordingly especially in regards to what's stated here in, in the Mahabharata, what he accomplished, the way that he, he weaned the, the general population off of the performance of animal sacrifice uh, simply for uh, satisfaction of their senses. Because after his advent, we had Sankaracharya coming in and, and gradually taking the same concept that Buddha had presented, that concept of nonviolence, and of course, 
the objective of Buddhism in general is uh, the attainment of a state of nirvana or a complete shutting off of uh, of material entanglement uh, through a complete uh, practice which involves uh, seeing that we have no position at all within the material realm. Of course, Buddha did not go on from that to also also explain more what actually is. So his his approach is more give everything up, up, that it is entering into nirvana is actually entering into a stage of, of complete and absolute nothingness. Now, Sankaracharya comes along. He gives, gives his own interpretation of the Vedas, not bringing out all the, the essence of Vedic um, knowledge, which is the personality of divinity, but rather he's, he, he focuses in his presentation of theology on the fact that everybody should also give up material involvement, but they should seek as an objective their source, which is Brahman. So in Brahman, we have a likeness of ourselves with the totality of spiritual existence. Of course, a spiritual existence that lacks qualities and characteristics and all that Brahman lacks uh, is what Sankaracharya emphasized. And he, uh, only in a very hidden way, uh, did he reveal uh, Bhaja Govinda uh, to, to worship Govinda all you fools that think that what I'm giving you is the absolute truth, you need to know what the real truth is. It's, it's beyond the perversion of the Vedas that I've put forth uh, under the direction of, of the Supreme Lord himself. So Sankaracharya being a, a, uh, a descent of Lord Shiva for that particular purpose. And then following Sankaracharya, we come to Ramanujacharya, who now brings back in uh, personality to the idea of, of the, the topmost theistic uh, ideal, and followed by Madhvacharya, uh, ultimately up to the advent of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Kali Yuga, giving us the, the, the topmost uh, understanding of, of divinity uh, in a very exceptional way, extraordinary way. So in that regard, just a few words to, to allow us to see Buddha as the verse from the Bhagavatam in the context of our history, a little bit beyond uh, what's been presented here just in the commentary. Uh, showing the particulars, but also in the context of his advent. Uh, it also seems to ring true to what um, Sutta Goswami uh, presented to the sages.
we come up to the 25th Anucheta, 25th verse of the third chapter, then at the conjunction of the Yugas, when the kings have mostly been become robbers, the Lord of the universe will take birth from Vishnu Yasa as Kalki. Jiva writes here at the conjunction of the Yugas means at the end of Kali Yuga. Little commentary, this verse predicts the final avatar who will appear toward the end of the age of Kali. The duration of Kali is said to be 432,000 years, of which only about 5,200 have passed. That's something that's kind of hard to, to wrap your conception of things around, at least for me, that only 5,200 years of a 432,000 year duration of time, Kali Yuga, have actually uh, gone by. And already, any anyone in human society has to be fearful for for the totality of of humanity, uh, even at this early stage of Kali Yuga. It seems that uh, how, how can it last another four hundred and thirty two thousand years? How will the planet even endure that long at the rate of our destructive nature? The beginning part of a yuga is called Amsa, and the final part, Sanja. Both take up to 10% of the entire duration of the yuga. In the case of Kali, the Sanja, Sanja would thus last about 43,000 years. So, assuming that the time already elapsed is indeed 5,200 years, Kalki is to appear in about 383,600 years. Although most New Age spiritualists believe that we are in the Aquarian period and that the world is about to embrace a wider spirituality, this verse seems to indicate that things are moving in the opposite direction. Inscriptions of Kali Yuga, such as those found in the second chapter of the 12th canto, kings or rulers will be nothing more than legalized robbers, extracting exorbitant taxes in exchange for just a few basic services. An interesting idea to consider, however, is that, I'm sorry, however, that could harmonize to a certain degree the modern view with that of tradition is that evolution and devolution are two streams that run concurrently. Taking the four yugas together as a closed set, devolution occurs from Satya Yuga to Kali. But as we approach the juncture between Kali and the succeeding Satya Yuga, there would necessarily have to be a growing number of people whose consciousness is sufficiently evolved to usher in the new age. From this perspective, it is not unreasonable to posit an evolutionary counter current within Kali Yuga 
that prepares the way for the next Satya Yuga. From Satya to Kali, dev devolution is certainly evident, but from the end of Kali to the next Satya Yuga, evolution must be admitted to be the case. As the juncture point of Kali and Satya is approached, it will be marked by an increasingly acute contention between the folk forces of light and dark. Kalki resolves the conflict. So may the force be with us <laughs> as we go through this period. Um, uh, inter interesting perspective here uh, put forth by uh, Sachinarayan Das. Uh, something to, to contemplate uh, when we look at uh, this period of Kali that we are in and the uh, upcoming period of Satya Yuga where everybody's in uh, spiritual trance uh, focused on uh, the Supreme Lord. So much so that there's uh, everything is, is, is perfectional in such a yuga. Interesting also to keep in mind that uh, these four yuga cycles um, and the timing of them, uh, that Kali Yuga is one-tenth of the duration, and then they, they time-wise, they expand uh, accordingly. So uh, you have such a yuga, which is uh, basically equivalent to four uh, Kali Yugas in duration, um, then Treta Yuga, or is it Dwarpa? I can't remember which comes next, but anyway, Satya, uh, Treta, Dwarpa, and Kali Yuga, each being uh, diminished. So if you add them all up, you have the, uh, the full duration of one yuga cycle, which is, uh, which is four, four million, 320,000 years. So 10 times the duration of Kali Yuga. Then Sutta Goswami speaks in general terms about all the avatars that were not specifically mentioned in his discourse. Now, in order to include all the other avatars not listed above, such as Hari Griva, Hari, Hamsa, Prishnigarbha, Vibhu, Satyasena, Vaikuntha, Arjita, Sarvabhoma, Visvaksena, Dharmasetu, Sudama, Yogeshwar, Brihadbanu, Sukla, and others, Sri Sutta says, Odwijas, again, he's speaking to the Brahmanas uh, in the assembly, just as thousands of streams flow from an inexhaustible lake, so also there are countless avatars of Bhagavan Hari, who is the repository of sattva. The avatars of Bhagavan, Jiva writes, the avatars of Bhagavan Hari are countless existing in the thousands, Sahasrasha, 
The emphatic particle he indicates that this is a well-known fact. The avatars are countless because he indeed is Sattva Nidhi, the treasury Nidhi of the potency of self-manifestation, Sattva. An illustration of this is provided in the second part of the verse, beginning with Yatha. From an inexhaustible lake appear thousands of inexhaustible streams or currents born of the very same nature, Tatswabhava Krita. He continues, among all the avatars listed above, those that are partial manifestations, Amsa avatars, are to be distinguished as follows. Now it gets into a little bit of the, the tattva uh, related to these various manifestations of Bhagavan's potencies. And those like the Kumars and Narada, who are invested with the particular authority, Adhikarika, there is an influx of a portion of Bhagavan's potencies, such as Gyan in the case of Kumars and Bhakti in the case of Narada. In Pritu and others like him, there is an influx of a portion of Bhagavan's potency of dynamic action, Kriya Shakti. Sometimes, however, Bhagavan himself enters into a jiva. This can be understood because such Avesh avatars proclaim, I am indeed Bhagavan. So in this whole listing of avatars, we can see that Sutta Goswami is also included, um, empowered jivas who have been given a specific potency of Bhagavan uh, so that they can assist uh, humanity. So the examples are here given by Jiva, Gyan for the Kumars, and Bhakti for Narda, who's constantly traveling throughout the uh, planetary systems in a universe and, and instilling Bhakti and in, encouraging uh, activities in the avataric descents that uh, bring about a, uh, a rapid uh, acceleration of the Leela in order to... Um, bring about a descent of the Lord or uh, to uh, basically um, bring about a circumstance where the Lord displays his potency in a particular way. So whether that, so both of these are included in the list of avatric descents by Sutta Goswami, the empowerment of jivas, and also the avatars coming through the Purusha manifestation. And then, of course, uh, Jiva's bringing out here that sometimes Bhagavan himself enters into a Jiva. So we see sometimes a Jiva, like Rishavdev, declares himself to be Bhagavan himself. Jiva Goswami continues in his 26th Anucheta. On the other hand, Sri Matsyadeva and others like him are direct portions, Saksad Amsa of Bhagavan. In this regard, it is to be understood that the word portion 
Amsa here indicates that although they are directly Bhagavan, yet because they are subordinate to his infallible will, the potency manifested by them is at all times only a singular part of his complete potency. Examples will be cited later, such as in Brahma Samhita. Bhagavan Sri Krishna is situated in forms such as Rama through partial limitation of his complete power. Uh, this subject, which Jiva is, is introducing now regarding the gradations of the infusion of power or display of power of the various manifestations of the Supreme Lord, uh, will come up again very soon in relation to the viewpoint of Madhvacharya. So a little preview here. Jiva Goswami is laying the groundwork for an argument that he will be making uh, in a couple anachetas from now. Some commentary. Bhagavan is unlimited, and so are his avatars, manifest from the Purusha. Shijiva Goswami lists some of the avatars that have not been mentioned in the Bhagavat's principal list from the third chapter of the first canto. These are described in the first, fifth, and thirteen chapters, thirteenth chapters of the eighth canto of the Bhagavat Purana, and are summarized in the prior division, Purva Kanda, of Lagu Bhagavatamrita, under the heading of Manvantar avatars. Bhagavan is addressed here as the repository of sattva. This sattva is not one of the three gunas of Prakriti, but the intrinsic potency of Bhagavan, which is sometimes called Visuddha sattva to distinguish it from material sattva, or it's sometimes called Suda sattva. So Visuddha, super, super empowered Suda, uh, and Suda sattva, uh, both these terminologies are referring to the Lord's uh, spiritual potency, not to the sattva which is manifested uh, within the material realm as one of the three gunas and presided over by Lord Vishnu there. As mentioned above in the commentary to Anucheta 5, there are three types of avatars, one of them being a Vaish, referring to particular jivas who are empowered by Bhagavan to fulfill a specific task through the influx of a corresponding potency. Sri Jiva specifies which of the avatars in the Bhagavat's list are avesh. There are two types of avesh, one being an avesh of some particular potency of Bhagavan and the other an avesh of Bhagavan himself. In the second case, the avatar proclaims himself to be Bhagavan as seen in the case of Rishabhdev as in his own words. Therefore, as long as one is bereft of love for me, Sri Vasudev, 
he is certainly not delivered from identification with material embodiment. Now we go on to other manifestations of the potency of the Supreme Lord coming in to the material realm uh, for its sustenance, maintenance, and protection. Thereafter, Jiva writes, Sri Sutta describes the manifestations of lesser powers, the Bhutis. Then he quotes the, 30, the, the 27th verse from the third chapter. The sages, the Manus, the Devas, the sons of Manu, the powerful beings, and the Prajapatis are all kalas, minute portions of Sri Hari. Jiva writes in this regard, the word kala, a minute portion, means a vibhuti. When a lesser power is manifest, it is called a vibhuti. And when greater power is manifest, it is called an avesh. This is the difference between these two. So we can see that even that all of the powerful living entities, the demigods, the Manus who preside over 71 cycles of yugas, 14 of such Manus being in every day of Brahma, uh, the Prajapadis, the progenitors of mankind, all the great sages, they're all empowered. The sadhus, the sages, the Manus, the devas, the sons of Manu, uh, and other powerful beings are, they're attaining their empowerment from Sri Hari. And that empowerment is referred to as Kala, meaning of a booty. And it's either lesser or greater. In the lesser, it's not really distinguished. We just see powerful living entities and we recognize that power has to be coming from the Supreme and their position in relationship to him. The greater ones, Nardas, the Kumars, they're, they're exemplars in human society of the Lord's empowerment. Even sometimes a great devotee himself will be empowered uh, to such an extent that he's recognized as an Avesh. Over and above Kala, the empowerment that all the sadhus and, and sages have uh, to transmit transcend, transcendental knowledge, sometimes one is empowered specifically, and such empowerment uh, was recognized by Bhakti Rakshak Sridhar Dev Goswami in our spiritual master, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada, so much so that he, he, he said in relationship to Prabhupada's empowerment, Nichananda Avesh, that Nichananda had, it was personally empowering him based on the extent of his outreach 
and specifically that extent of his outreach going into those um, into the Western world where basically there was no knowledge, deep knowledge and appreciation of the practice of bhakti and being able to widely distribute uh, uh, the holy name uh, to such an extent that uh, uh, I've heard an antidote. I don't know if it's true, but uh, Prabhupada was at, an, at a kirtan uh, of his disciples in the Western world and uh, apparently he, he relayed this to one of his disciples afterwards that, that Narada was there. He said, did you see Narada? And of course his devotee would, uh, no, I didn't see what well, he said. Yeah, I saw him and he was, he was very much enlivened. He said he'd never seen so many, so many, uh, uh demoniac persons chanting the holy name, <laughs> so many, Asuras, people again. So just to see that empowerment that, that, that even the, the lowest in Kali Yuga are gradually turned into Krishna's devotees, uh, that empowerment was acknowledged uh, in Srila Prabhupada and uh, therefore uh, we, we, we honor that empowerment as we honor him and uh, as we honor Bhakti Rakshak Sridhar Dev Goswami for recognizing that empowerment. A little commentary here, which seemed to be significant. So we would like to read it. Besides the avatars described above, Bhagavan manifests as the various powerful beings listed in this verse for the function of the universe. A particular entity may be called either an avatar or a vibhuti, depending upon the magnitude of Bhagavan's potency with which they are endowed. An avesh has less power than a direct avatar. The manifestations of minute potencies are called vibhutis. It is thus possible for a jiva to be either an avesh or a vibhuti of Bhagavan. In the Gita, Krishna sums up the discussion of vibhutis in the following statement. Whatever, whatsoever in existence is glorious, vibhutimat, opulent or powerful, know that indeed to be manifested from a portion of my splendor. Like the avatars, the vibhutis of Bhagavan are innumerable. Now we come to that very significant portion as we enter into an understanding of Krishna. Uh, Krishna is Swayam Bhagavan. This will be dealt with in two Anuchedas, uh, wherein uh, the verses from Sutta Goswami will be referred to. And 
very deeply and comprehensively elaborated upon. Uh, we will be begin this uh, deep dive uh, into the 28th Anucheta, uh, which has for simplicity's sake been divided into uh, portions, sub-portions. Uh, as we know, the word annotate itself means section. So there's, I believe, four subsections of this 28th annotate in order that we can break it apart and digest all that's to be presented here uh, by Jiva Goswami. So first, he quotes the verse uh, from the third canto. In this way, having ascertained the identity of Paramatma along with his parts, Sri Sutta now identifies Sri Bhagavan by his form Akara, i.e. by the explicit display of his complete power, after summarizing what he has already stated. Then he quotes, all these are either portions, umsa, or minute portions, kalas, of the Purusha, but Krishna alone is Bhagavan himself. Jiva Swami now begins his unpacking of this important verse. The word iti, all these, refers to the avatars previously mentioned in the verses above. The word cha and implies the inclusion of those avatars, etc., that have not been specifically named. So he's really giving, he's really pointing out the all-inclusiveness of this Pariva Sutra. So all the avatars that Sutta mentioned, and even the ones that he did not specifically mention, they're encompassed in the explan in this 28th verse, um, which kind of brings the whole discussion uh, to a head. All these are the umsas and kalas of the first purusha, pumsa, described in verse 131, the beginning of the chapter. Some are themselves portions, umsas. These are of two types direct portions, saksad amsa, and portions of portions, amsamsa. Jiva continues. Some are portions due to being infused by other portions, whereas others are kalas or, in other words, vibhutis, displays of lesser power. Sri Krishna, however, who has been counted as the 20th avatar in this list, is Bhagavan. He alone is that very same Bhagavan, who is the original source, avatari, even of the Purusha. That Purusha mentioned at the beginning of the chapter. In the above verse, by the principle, the predicate should not be stated without specifying the subject. 
the characteristic of being Bhagavan, Bhagavatva, the predicate is established as belonging specifically to Krishna, the subject, and not the reverse. That is the characteristic of being Krishna, Krishnatva. That the, char that the characteristic of being Krishna, Krishnatva, is established of Bhagavan. This will be further explained as we go on, but basically the placement of the words in the verse is very significant here. Consequently, because Sri Krishna alone has been determined as being the repository, dharmi, of the characteristics of being Bhagavan, Bhagavatva, it is thereby proven that he is the original source, avatari, of all avatars, and not merely a manifestation of the Purusha. Sutta expresses this very fact by the word Swayam, himself, which is to say that he is Bhagavan in and of himself, not because he has appeared from Bhagavan, nor because of the superimposition, ajasya, of godhood, Bhagavata, upon him. So some commentary in relation to this very first subsection to further elaborate on the points that Jiva Goswami is making here. Up to the 27th verse of the third chapter, Sutta Goswami listed the various avatars and partial manifestations of the Purusha, or Paramatma, forms of Bhagavan. In the present verse, after summarizing all the avatars, in the first quarter of the verse, he speaks of Bhagavan directly. This verse, along with the Vedanta verse, 1 to 11, which was discussed in the previous three books, form the foundation of Gaudiya theology. Therefore, Sri Jiva Goswami minutely analyzes this verse in systematic fashion. So, this is very significant to our understanding. What is the foundation of Gaudiya theology? And it rests in these two verses. Viranti tattva vidas tattvamyas jnanam advayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavan iti subjite. And that's from the second chapter. And now in the third chapter, we have this additional verse, the Pariva Sutra, wherein we have the determining line, Krishna stu Bhagavan Swayam, in regards to all the avataric sense of, uh, of divinity uh, coming through the Purusha and the distinguishing of Krishna from all those other manifestations of the Godhead or empowerments of the Godhead within the material manifestation. So now we come to a very crucial understanding. 
The general belief held among Hindus of all Sampradayas is that Sri Krishna is an avatar of Vishnu. Although Krishna, besides Lord Brahma, is one of the most popular forms of God, he is understood to be only an avatar. In light of this widespread misconception, Sri Jiva Goswami endeavors painstakingly to establish the truth and expose this erroneous view. The comprehensive meaning of the first quarter of the verse can be stated as follows. These avatars and vibhutis listed above in verses 1, 3, 6 through 27, as well as all those that are unmentioned, are either amsas or kalas of the purusha, the second quarter of the verse forms a separate sentence. Krishna, however, is Bhagavan himself. By establishing the meaning as Krishna is Swayam Bhagavan, it is concluded that only Krishna is Swayam Bhagavan and no one else. Krishna alone has the intrinsic nature and qualification by which he is Swayam Bhagavan. The word Swayam in and of himself signifies that Krishna is not an avatar of some other Bhagavan, but is Bhagavan himself. Um, the semantics of the words will be um, analyzed as we go further into this Amacheda. Swayam additionally means by his very own self and not because of any other medium or upadi. The quality of being Bhagavan is intrinsic to his nature and not a superimposition. So this comprehensively states what to us as Gaudias is obvious because the introduction of Krishna into Western society has always been couched in this wonderful statement by A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada, Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So for us, this understanding is coming due to our repeated uh, hearing and learning of the position of Krishna in relationship to all of his other manifestations. This is not necessarily the case uh, in other sampradayas. And where Krishna is seen simply as another manifestation of Vishnu, another avataric accent, descent. Uh, so much of the theology that constitutes the uh, Siddhanta of our Gaudiya Sampradaya will be unpacked here by Jiva Goswami in relationship to this verse, which is the truly 
a key to Gaudiya Vaishnavism. This is, this is how uh, we see uh, divinity, um, how it's coming to us, the, the, the opportunity is coming to us through this sampradaya, coming through the gracious dispensation of Krishna himself manifesting um, and coming into the world as Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So much to be gained here uh, from this deep uh, understanding and much to be gained in seeing it in the perspective of Jiva Goswami, which allows um, us to be firmly rooted in not only the Gaudiya perspective, but the Gaudiya perspective in relationship to other conceptions of uh, spirituality, of divinity um, that exist uh, in other sampradayas. So with that, uh, we'll stop for today. Certainly be welcome to answer any questions if there are any. If not, I will thank you so much for kind association. Banchakalpatubhyascha, Kripasindabhivacha, Patitanam Pabhanebhyo, Vaishnavidya, Namo Namaha. Thank you so very much. Hare Krishna. Krishna Kirtana Ghanana Tanapano Sri <laughs> 